Hi, I'm Palma Polisel. I'm a solo parent, dog lover, and a member of the widowed community, a club no one wants to join. Following the loss of my spouse, I felt compelled to help others navigate widowhood and find a fulfilling life after loss. I invite you to spend time with me as I am joined by a variety of guests, including widows, widowers, and professional experts. To name a few topics, we will be discussing grief, loneliness, dating, solo parenting, and self-care. We will also discuss finances with topics like dealing with debt, insurance, estates, and building an emergency fund. I believe that resolving financial issues is essential to improving the journey through grief. Together, with both knowledge and empowerment, we will learn how to move forward and navigate this new normal. Hello, Richard. How are you? I'm well, Palma. How are you today? I'm kind of okay. I had the weirdest text come to me, my phone. Actually, oh. it's this. Yeah, it's a second one. This one I received a few days ago, and then I received another one about a month ago. Uh-huh. And it's and it says, "Hi, mom. It's so and so." Actually, the first one didn't say that. It just said, "Hi, mom. I've lost my phone. I'm using this phone, but I'm in trouble. Please call oh, me." Oh no! Right. The second one, which uh-huh. I just received, actually had my daughter's name. So it said, hi, mom. This is Lauren. I've lost my phone. I'm using this temporarily. Can you please call me? I need you or I need help <clears throat> or something of the sort. Wow. So, you must have been petrified. Getting no, that kind of no, te- I wasn't. No. no. Oh, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. So because I had that first text and I've heard that so many things are going on, such as this uh-huh. fraudulent things, the girls and I, that my daughters and I, we came up with a safe word. Oh, good idea. So I knew uh-huh. that if she was in trouble, she would have said to me, call me for the safe word, a safe word. Oh, well, that's very smart. And she didn't. So I she knew didn't. It was, I knew it was fraud, so you knew, even yeah. though they used her name, which was yeah, really would, unbelievable. Oh, gosh. Wow. That's scary, well, right? Have you experienced anything? Well, funny you say that or bring that up. I think, you know, last week I was hacked. I, d- I do know. I received <clears throat> one of your emails asking for <laughs> not help. Not me. Not from me, <laughs> but I was hacked. So what they did is they took all my contacts. I don't know if they got it on my computer or they got it from my iPhone, but somehow they got all my contacts and then they set up a Gmail account in my name, but they spelled it a a little bit differently than what I normally spell it as. And they sent a request, an email to all my contacts asking them for a little favor. (laughs) What was that? I didn't well, read it. I actually saw it. I thought it was I, strange and I erased it. Yeah, my phone rang off the hook because of it. And I, I would tell everybody, no, it's it's fraudulent. It's mm-hmm. a scam. But there were a couple of people that actually replied to it. And, and remember, they were using someone else's email address. So I didn't know that they were responding. So the people that were responding got another email back saying that they wanted help. I wanted help to buy a an apple card apple gift card because i had to give it to someone and i just didn't have time to go and buy it and they would be really helping me if they could buy it for me wow so did any of your friends or family actually think it might be legit well i was kind of surprised that no one did now i know who my friends are (laughs) (laughs) or you have very smart friends or i have very yeah no one did no one did but yeah so that got me thinking And I did a bit of research and there are a lot of scams that 
gosh, they even have names for them. <laughs> There's one called the extortion scam. And I've actually had this. You get a an impersonator, you get an email or a text or a phone call, and they're impersonating. And in my case, they were impersonating CRA. Hmm. And they were saying, hey, uh, Richard, blah, blah, blah. We, You owe... I don't know, $20,000 and you need to pay that immediately. Otherwise you go to court and you go to jail and blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, I obviously didn't fall for that, but there are people, unfortunately, that actually make that payment. They might it get looks scared. so legitimate. So for people that don't know, CRA is the Canada Revenue Agency and they collect taxes. <clears throat> yeah, there are friends in Ottawa. Right. They're our friends in Ottawa. I love them. <laughs> Sir, they are our partners in Ottawa. Yes. Yeah. Anyhow, if you do want to talk to them, CRA, to see whether or not they've actually contacted you, you could try the number 1-800-959-8281, and that'll direct you directly. That'll connect you directly to CRA. So never believe anybody that comes to your door or phones you on their behalf mm. or texts you. They don't do that. You need to call them. And yeah. uh, find out if, if uh, it is real. Yeah, here's yeah. a good one for widows and widowers, especially during the first year or so after becoming widowed. They call it a romance scam. And what they do is they befriend you. And it, it doesn't just happen to widows and widowers, but we are very frail and... And, and weaker than we normally yeah, would be. A little be. more vulnerable, I yeah, think. Yeah, definitely, especially during the early years of widowhood. Anyhow, they befriend you, and they might even show up. Ultimately, what they're trying to do is gain your trust and eventually ask you for money. So I actually know someone that this no. happened to. I do. I've heard of it, but I don't know of anybody. Well, what happened? Super smart, successful woman, oh, yeah. a businesswoman. It's they... just uh, she lost her husband. Mm. And uh, towards the end of the first year, she went on to a widow and widowers chat group. And she right. thought she was safe because it's widows and widowers on this site. Right. She started uh, a friendship with a man who lived in a different province. Yeah. So she, he didn't mm -hmm. live in Ontario, not in Toronto. And they mm -hmm. talked for quite a while, a good six oh. months. And in fact, she actually saw his face. They actually communicated through WhatsApp. So WhatsApp video. They saw each other several times over Did this. They actually meet? Not in person. Okay. No, because he was from out west. So near Vancouver. And, but they were planning on meeting. They were planning, actually, she thought they had a future together. One oh, day boy. he phoned her, not a video chat, just a phone call. And she, he didn't say anything was wrong, but she could tell something was wrong. So eventually after speaking for a few minutes, she asked him and he said that he was very upset because he had a home, which he owned as well as a few investment properties. And he had somehow defaulted on his home mortgage payments. Yeah, there's a red flag right there. Mm -hmm. Because he had sold one of the investment properties and that hadn't come through in time for him to use those funds to pay his mortgage. Yeah, yeah. And he said he had approached his parents, he had approached his siblings and his close friends and no one could help him. And so he was so distraught because now he might lose his house as mm. well as the investment property. Yeah, yeah. And she offered to help him. Oh. She actually helped him. She sent him the money? He offered to 
sign a legal document that very minute, as soon as whatever, in whatever way she could help, he would certainly sign a legal document. And so she sent him $50,000. And then what? He disappeared. Yeah. And she completely disappeared. She couldn't find him. Couldn't find him. She actually hired somebody to try and track him down. Could find no trace of him. He probably didn't even live in Canada. I'm sure he didn't. And she talked to the police and the police said he probably had done this many, many times. Right. Yeah. And so if you do that to mm. people that are vulnerable, even two and three times a year, you're making a decent amount of money at the expense of somebody who's suffering. Yeah, that's very similar to the CRA scam where they tell you that you owe CRA money and you're afraid. You're You're afraid of CRA. Mm-hmm. And you want to pay it off. And, mm-hmm. and here's potentially your friend asking you for money mm-hmm. and they rip you off. Super scary. So have you yeah. learned through your experience things that we can do to keep ourselves safer? Oh, well, I'm no cybersecurity expert, but from what I've read, some of the the low-hanging fruits would be passwords. You know, make sure they're strong. Make sure they're not the same for every site that you use. Some people use password managers to help you keep track of them all. I think you have to do at the very least, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. What I do in addition to that, I'm very conscientious about my bank account and I have alerts on mm-hmm. my bank account for virtually mm-hmm. every transaction. Too. You mm-hmm. do too. Yeah. So if there's a deposit, although I know when my deposits are coming in, that's usually not the problem. Usually the problem are with checks that go out and I have to make sure I I remember who they are or what they're for, (laughs) visa bills. Anyhow, every single transaction that goes through the account, including the visa, because it's the same bank, I get notification. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. And it's probably ultimately what they want. They want your money. So if I can't catch them, like I couldn't catch them for, or I couldn't prevent them from stealing my contacts, if they're going to steal any money, I want to know immediately exactly. so that I can call the banks and say, okay, fine, this is what's happening. We got to put a freeze on the We accounts. have to do something. I actually yeah. had people from Germany buying appliances on my credit card just a while ago. And I received and an alert. You didn't even tell me that you had a place in Germany. I'd really love to visit you. Oh, well, as soon as I find it, I will yep. invite you. Guaranteed. You don't have a place in Germany? I've always wanted a place in Germany. <laughs> but you got appliances. <laughs> I have appliances somewhere in Germany. But I caught that because I received a text immediately, mm. yeah. called the bank and I put a stop to it because I bought a refrigerator and a stove and a washer and dryer. Do you know what kind dryer. of refrigerator you bought? What, no, I do. What, what oh, I do, it? actually. I do. I do, actually. It was what? a Liebner. Oh, it's good L-I-E-B-N-E-R, name. It's L-I-E-B-N-E-R, and it's a German make. German name. Anything apparently German a very sounds good, good. Apparently a very good refrigerator. Uh, they had yeah. good taste. Good taste. <laughs> so, Richard. <laughs> so, what are we talking about today other than uh I was yeah, just going to say that. Yeah, and fraud. Um, today, we're talking about, our topic will be understanding Canadian investment options and strate- as strategies for widows and widowers. So, as a widower, right. the first thing I did anyway was pay all of my essential bills and then think about investing the rest. And by the way, listeners... Podcast number six topic was post-loss budget, and this podcast will really help you. And it's sort of a segue today's to today's pod- podcast that talks about investment strategies. What I do know, particularly my mm. case as a widow, was that my financial house was 
in fairly good order once I looked through things. So I think it made my grief a little less or a little lighter, let's just say. Yeah, there's definitely a connection between financial insecurity and grief or mm-hmm. worsening of the grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think we both agreed, and I think it's common practice that during let's call it the first year, you shouldn't necessarily make any major decisions. Like you shouldn't sell your family home. You shouldn't make a big contribution to a charity because grief can cloud your judgment. Mm -hmm. And even the smallest decision can be very, very difficult to make. And can you imagine a large decision as to whether or not you want to sell the family home? It's probably not a good idea to do that. So wait a while, maybe you seek some professional help, whether you you talk to your friends and family or you talk to a lawyer or a financial advisor, Right. you talk to them about some of these decisions that you're looking at making. But at, ultimately, <clears throat> there are some decisions that you can't wait. Like you have to pay the mortgage, you have to pay or the rent, you have to pay the utilities, you have to put food on the table, put gas in the car. You just can't wait until your grief is better. You have to continue. So what I, what we did in, in podcast number six, we talked about your budget. You have to look at your budget because all of a sudden you've gone from two people earning income potentially to maybe just one. In addition to that, I think you have to start looking at your investments almost immediately. And I'm not saying that you rush out and recreate everything, but you have to start learning what you've invested in. Most investments are not the one are not whereby you can buy and forget. You have to review it. You have to rebalance it. You possibly have to buy and sell a particular investment. So although we should wait for most decisions, at least until the grief gets a little bit lighter, there are certain things like paying the bills and monitoring your investment portfolio that you have to do almost immediately. That has to be done. You know what they say, knowledge is power, in particular with finance. You have to know what you have Definitely. And, and what you're going to do with it. Absolutely. So what exactly is an investment? Okay, let's start with what is not an investment. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to buy a very expensive Tesla because I think it's a really good investment. How often Although, have you heard that? Yeah, no, never. No. Okay. <laughs> or any other car. It doesn't have to be Tesla. I'm going to buy a Mercedes. I'm going to buy a GM. It doesn't matter. Most cars, other than maybe the collector cars, are depreciable assets. You buy them, you drive them off the lot. They're worth less than you paid a minute or two before you drove, drove off the lot. That's not an investment. You know that going into it. An investment is when you invest or buy something that there is a very good chance of making a profit. Well, I shouldn't say a very good chance. There is a chance of making a profit or earning income from the investment. Now, think back of the example of the car. I don't ever expect to make money from a car and I don't think it'll ever make me income. I'm not going to be an Uber driver. So that's not an investment. So let's call a spade a spade. If we're going to buy an investment, it has to have a reasonable expectation of earning a profit. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably your, your easiest way to, 
analyze that. And then I also, like before we go into the investment options, Palma, I think I have to clarify a few concepts. The first one is investment. What is an investment? The second thing is risk. Not all investments carry the same amount of risk. Some are more conservative. Some are very, very aggressive. You could buy a blue chip stock, like a bank stock. It's fairly conservative. Still, it could still go bankrupt, but it doesn't go up and down as much as, say, a a startup company, maybe a a, a canopy growth, a, a cannabis company, where the risk is higher that it may actually go bankrupt. So, not only do you have to know if it's an investment or not, but you also have to be able to identify the risk level that you're buying into. And then what you have to do before you actually buy it, you have to understand your own risk level. So you're, if your risk level is low, say you're a very conservative kind of investor, you're not going to go out and buy an investment that acts like a roller coaster. You're going to go out and buy a stock that is a little bit more conservative, doesn't go up or down as much, but generally over a longer period time frame will make money for you. So make sure your risk profile equals the risk profile of the investment that you're actually going to make. So my risk profile changed after Dave died. Oh yeah. Very common. Mm -hmm. I was worried before that. I think I was a little more risk tolerant and yeah, then you had two I, incomes. Eh? Right. And yeah. then I became very nervous after he passed away. I was a solo parent Right. I didn't want to take the chance of losing my money that I had invested. So I became, I guess, what I would call moderate risk or low risk. Yeah, a lower risk category, not a zero risk, but a lower risk category, because you've told me you've bought mutual funds, which we'll talk about mm -hmm. shortly. So they would be considered moderate risk if you're buying moderate. a stock portfolio or but a stock mutual fund. But I tried to fund. stick to blue chip. Right in that because I was worried. I didn't yeah. want to, as I said, I didn't want to risk it. At least for the first few years, I know I felt like this. Yeah, very common. And I think it was a wise thing to do. You have, when you're married or, or you're living with someone and you're joining your financial assets, you can rely on them to help you in the event there, there is some kind of, a, of, a, of an issue. Mm -hmm. You lose your job you have an investment that doesn't go well. Well, you can rely on, you could rely on Dave and I could rely on Mary mm -hmm, to exactly. help, help me through that particular period. But if you're all alone, you can't. So no, you, you are can't. definitely more concerned. And I had young children, so I really wanted had... to be careful. Yeah, so what I didn't invest in, sorry, Richard, what yeah, I what didn't did... invest in is stocks. Can you tell me about those? I didn't know a lot about them. Stocks are a very common investment type. And they represent ownership in the company that you're buying into. So, for example, you might decide, I'd like to buy a share in Bank of Nova Scotia. You might look up all the work, you might look at the research, and eventually you can decide to buy it. Well, that makes you a shareholder of that corporation, albeit a very small shareholder, but you're still a shareholder. So if they do well, you know, you're going to participate in a higher stock price and they pay dividends. So you collect the dividend income as well. So that's a, a fairly conservative stock. But remember, you are becoming an owner of the company. You could also buy a more, uh, more volatile stock. And I'll give you an example of this. 
Air Canada was also founded, sorry, Air Canada was founded in 1936. But since then, they've been bankrupt. They went bankrupt in 2003 and nearly bankrupt again in 2020 during the pandemic. Probably would have gone bankrupt had it not been for the federal government's bailout. So they were rescued. Were they rescued in 2003 also? Well, they actually declared bankruptcy and then there was a reorganization, but they came out of it and don't have the facts with me, but I would imagine that there was some kind of a a government reorganization Mm -hmm. and, and bailout. So Air Canada is a is your roller coaster type of stock. Now is a great time to buy it. And I'm not recommending that you buy it, but I'm saying that people are traveling more. The pandem- pandemic is kind of over and people are willing to take that risk now and they're and they're traveling. Air Canada is mm. busier and you would expect them to make more money so and then you would expect is doing- Yeah, so is is doing a bit better. Actually, you know what? I have to say quickly, I did actually buy some stocks. Really? Which ones? Um, I bought Air Canada when it was initially released. Now, I don't remember what year that was. Wow. But they went public and they released their stock and I bought stock at that time. I have since sold it. Oh, okay. I, I did buy it and that's purely because I had interest in it. I love to travel. So I thought, oh, if I'm going to invest, but this, I believe it was before Dave passed away. And yeah. also for the kids, I wanted to teach them a little oh, bit about investing. And I bought them Irwin toy. Irwin, the toy. I don't even yes. know if they're still in business. I have uh, no idea. I don't know either. Canadian or US? You know, I don't remember at that ah, time. Okay. It was yeah. quite a while ago. Okay. A lot of people do that. I've heard people buy uh, their kids Disney. Mm-hmm. That's a common stock that you buy a kid. Uh, it's been a great stock, not recently, but it has been a great stock over the long term. So, but. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So these can be a little risky. Now, the one thing that is less risky, I think you were saying, was bonds. Yeah. So a bond is another very common investment that people make. And this is somewhat different. When you invest in a stock, you become an owner of the company. When you buy a bond, you are actually lending the corporation money. So they will promise to pay you interest on that borrowed money. And at maturity, they promise to pay you back the amount that you lent them. Now you generally take back collateral and that's called a bond or an IOU, if you will. It's similar to a mortgage, right? When we go out and buy a house, if we don't have all the money, we borrow it. We call it a mortgage. When a corporation goes out to borrow and they give you security, it's called a bond. So again, there are some very conservative bonds. Most of them are coming from our governments, federal government. And you know that the federal government is a very big borrower. The amount of money that they collect in taxes does not equal the amount of money that they actually spend. They spend mm-hmm. more than they collect. And that's an issue for another, another show. Mm, but the, di- the difference or the deficit there is funded through borrowing. So- if you're conservative, it's probably your best, uh, it's probably your safest investment because it's guaranteed by the government, which in, in fact really is us. 40 million Canadians are guaranteeing that particular bond. So the interest rate is reflective. It's not that high because this, the risk is very, very low. Today, you're probably, depending on the term, you're earning somewhere around 4 or 5%. But you could buy a bond from a very 
risk a riskier bond. You could buy the bond of cannabis, cannabis growth. If they were going to borrow money, they can't come out with a bond at 5% because no one would buy it. They would come out with a bond paying interest of hypothetically 15%. Wow. Would you so buy that bond? No, I would not buy that bond. <laughs> yeah, well, the interest rate reflects the fact that it's risky. It's risky. It was a $70 stock. It's now like a 70 cent stock. Wow. And, you know, they have issues. I'm not going to get into them. And maybe it's the right time to buy. I don't know because I don't follow that particular stock. But you could see that there are bonds that are also risky. So you have to be mm. very careful which one you want to buy. If you're conservative and you don't want any risk, a government bond would be fine. So but again, bond, it depends on oh, all your circumstances. Put right. Together. You have to weigh everything. Do bond interest rates go up when inflation goes up or when general in interest rates go up? Mm -hmm. Yes. Interest rates on bonds are contingent on the bank rate. Mm -hmm. So the Federal Reserve or the Bank of Canada increases interest rates, which is what they're doing. Then generally bonds will have to be issued at a higher price because of that. But there are other factors like the risk of the actual company paying you back. That's a that's also a big factor in determining what interest rate the bond will pay. Interesting. So although you've told me about bonds and it sounds like they're slightly safer or safer bet, I suppose my risk tolerance is a little higher than I thought because I chose to invest in mutual funds. Yeah, very again, very common investment vehicle. A mutual fund is really a a pool of individual stocks or individual bonds. The pool could be stocks in Canada. They could be stocks only in the US. They could be stocks in the banking sector. There are so many mutual funds today that they started with a general, a sort of a general stock mutual fund where you bought several stocks and now they're very specific if you wanted to. And I believe there are more mutual funds and stocks out there today. So what they do is they hire the mutual fund company hires a money manager, a portfolio manager to manage the buys and the sells of that particular mutual fund based on its objectives. And so if the objective is to buy Canadian companies, they may put together a portfolio of 50 or 100 companies that they think are going to do better than the rest. And that's their job to buy and to sell or buy, sell, and monitor those particular stocks. If you want complete hands-off investment style, that's a great option. You get automatically, you get diversification and you have a money manager managing mm -hmm. it all the managing. time. And you can really be specific in and you types can be, of things. Right. You, you can, I guess, buy ethical <clears throat> You can do that. You can buy mutuals or maybe something that I don't know if these exist, but bonds, not bonds, excuse me, mutual funds that invest in the environment or yes. companies that are working right. with. Yeah. With sustainable energy. Yes. Yeah. All kinds of uh, green technology funds. As I said, they've gotten so fragmented that now that it's almost hard to pick one. It's all now, hard to figure it out. And I've yeah. heard of, what are ETFs? I've heard of those, but I have no idea what they yeah, are. Yeah, they're similar to stocks, to mutual funds. A mutual fund, remember, hires a portfolio manager to buy and to sell these particular stocks. Well, an ETF doesn't rely on a mutual fund manager or a money manager they buy every company in the index. So for example, in the TSX, there's about 300 companies in that index. 
they will buy all 300 companies and they'll mirror the index. So they're not betting on any particular one company or sector. They're going to buy all of them. Mm, okay. And the general feeling is that why buy one or two companies and potentially be wrong? Buy the entire market because historically the entire market has done well. And if you can just rely on that return alone, you should be happy because okay. the markets have done very well historically. And that's the theory. Some people like that approach. And again, there's all kinds of ETFs. There's sector ETH, ETFs, there's investment styles, there's leveraged ETFs, double wow, leveraged ETFs. So you really ETF. have to research where you put that. They're getting silly now. Yeah. That's getting I, I, silly. I think, you know, when I, when I first started, they would have like a like an index, you buy the S&P 500 or you buy the Dow 30 or you buy the TSX 300. But now it's just ridiculous. There's so many. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't, you, I get, well, there is one called, um, oh gosh, it's 5,000 companies in the US and that's oh every, pretty well every single company that is publicly traded. I was actually kidding, but you actually, you can buy them all. Wow. You, you can buy all, pretty well every company in, in the US and and it's, up to, I think it's up to 5,000 publicly wow. traded companies. So yeah. I mentioned that I was a little bit conservative, but I did like to invest in the banks, in particular the Canadian banks. I mean, have, I don't even think we've ever had a Canadian bank go out of business or well, declare we have. Yeah, we we have, have. But when? <clears throat> I was early in my career when two Western banks declared bankruptcy. Okay, maybe that's why um, I didn't know about In 1990 or so. Okay. Now, they were regional banks. They're not part of the big four or five that we currently have today. You do have, and, and I think you wanted to bring in GICs. That's now. what I was going to say. Yeah. Then you're investing in the banks, right? It's a little well, safer or should be, or I thought invest, they were. Yeah, you're lending them money. <laughs> okay. And up to $100,000, they will, not they, but the government through an agency called the Canadian Depository Insurance Corporation, CDIC in short, they guarantee your money and the interest up to $100,000. Hmm. And that's the guarantee that some people really, really find comfortable. And Absolutely. so they won't buy anything other than GICs. And because, they're a lower interest? Are yeah, you... again, lower the, lower the risk, lower the return potential. Right. So right. a five-year GIC today is somewhere between 4 and 5%. Yeah, that's quite low. Well, a lot better than it was. A lot better than it uh, was. It was ago. almost like zero. Before. It was virtually zero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, another so, one that I'm really... Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no. I was just going to say... keep interrupting you. I do no. have a habit of doing that, don't I? <laughs> no, you're here. You're so polite, Palma. No problem at all. <laughs> you interrupt me and you're polite when you do it. Okay. What else did you want to talk about? I want to talk about... I'm really interested in uh, real estate. Always have been but can't afford to buy a property on my own, but I can buy a share in a property. And I think that's called what? A REIT? Right. Okay. A REIT. And a REIT is spelled R-E-I-T. And it stands for a real estate investment trust. So you're right. Like if I had $10,000 or $20,000 and I wanted to invest in real estate, well, you're right. How am I going to go out and buy one property for $20,000? Or what if I had enough money to buy a small apartment or a, a mall? I don't want the headaches of the managing of that portfolio. Well, in that case, I would buy a REIT and all the work would be done for me. 
they would hire a portfolio manager or a property manager and everything would be done. I would basically just receive the profit if there was any. So it's one way to get immediate diversification because they'll buy multiple properties and no worry about the day-to-day -day work. I think I would do this one. I think I would Good. invest in this type of thing. <laughs> well, there are a lot of them out there. Oh, wow. I'll have to start. Yeah. I'll have to start learning about them, Richard. All right. I can help uh, you there. Thank you. So listeners, as usual, I like to talk about something that I've learned and I like to ask my guests something that they've learned about today's podcast or something they'd like to say. I had something in mind, but I changed my mind as I was speaking to Richard. Oh, <laughs> what I'm going to go first. Okay. Okay. Go first. Otherwise you just interrupt me. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Terrible habit. I think what I will do is say that because of my past experience, I think it's essential these days, especially with AI to have a safe word for your close family. So that yeah. if you are contacted either by text, or I've heard that AI can duplicate voices. Exactly. Right. Right. They have. You have that safe word and you know for a fact that that is fraud at that point, even if it sounds like your child or your mother or your father or whatever. Right. I never thought of that until today. And I think it's a great, a great tool to use to prevent fraud. Definitely. Wait, did you learn something from me today? Oh, yeah. I do oh, that every wow. time. Okay, cool. Okay. So what is it that you would like to say about today's episode? Well, I think you said it earlier. You said knowledge is power. And I think if you have a basic understanding of your investment options and what you've invested in, I think it's a maybe the best way to prevent fraud and scams. As well, if you have a general knowledge of your investments, I think it'll make you a better investor. I think you'll your probability, uh, your you're more likely to invest in stocks that, or investments that go up rather than do nothing or worse, go down. So I think it's important to get to get knowledgeable. So I wish you could wait until the grief expires or lessens. Gets a little better. Yeah, but it's- It never it, goes away. It but... never goes away. And, mm -hmm. and this is something that you have to gradually learn. You could do it on your own or you can hire someone. It's completely up to you, but it can't be ignored. Very good. Very good. Thank you again, Richard. Bye-bye. And listeners, until next time, take care. Bye, Palma. Hey, listeners, for more insights, support, and resources related to widowhood, visit my website at mywidowedlife.com. That's where I expand on topics discussed on the podcast and apply them to the unique circumstances of widows and widowers. I also invite you to join the My Widowed Life Facebook group, a group that welcomes everyone, regardless of when you lost your loved one. This is a safe, non-judgmental space where you can like, comment, and post in an environment where everyone gets it. Please see the show notes for contact details and links to the My Widowed Life website and Facebook group. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, please share this podcast with your family and friends. Until next time, take care.